Welcome to the Educated by Design podcast, where we discuss ways to design the space, metaphorically of course, to experiment, explore, and extract your creative potential, not just for yourself, but for your students as well. Hey everyone, welcome to the 10th episode and final episode of this season of the Educated by Design podcast. We have spent the past 10 weeks breaking down the Educated by Design book, sharing additional stories, anecdotes, different ideas and insights into how to not just reveal and leverage our own creative capacity, but how can we give it over to our students? How can we empower them and charge them with the mission to leverage their creativity to do interesting things in the world. And it's hard. I had some students today tell me that this class is way too hard. This is the hardest class they have. Why am I making them do stuff? They just wanna like be lectured to and listen and just comply, you know, write a little paragraph here and there. And it's hard. It is absolutely hard to create opportunities that, that foster innovative practice. So today, today we're gonna talk about humility. And this was a hard chapter to write. Um, it took a lot of courage to even consider it being a part of the book. But I realized something as I reflected on my own life experiences and looked at my mentors and people that I admire. And humility is a huge piece of that. But if I'm going to write a chapter about humility, I have to be an expert in humility, which means that I'm humble. And if I'm saying I'm humble, how is that humility? Uh, so it was an awkward paradox, a frustrating one. And I spoke to a lot of different, you know, spiritual business education mentors. And it's like, you know, how, how are we going to make sense of this? How are we going to, how are we going to have this be part of, of my book? And I, I discovered a really powerful descriptor of humility. And it was that humility is not about looking at yourself as less. It's about looking at others more. It's about caring about others more than yourself and always looking in their best interest. That's, that's really the core foundation of humility. Because if you have that approach, then if you're always looking at the positive, you're always looking at the good and the potential in, in, in others, the good in others. So then it really can put your life in a perspective where you aren't going to make decisions and have certain characteristics and behaviors that would be selfish, um, motivated uh, in your own gain at the expense of others. And yesterday I was keynoting a district in Wisconsin, Milton School District, they brought me out for their innovation day, ran uh, two design thinking sessions, and, and I, I kicked it off with a keynote. And I said there, you know, students might not remember the quadratic equation, but what if we don't teach them about humility? You're going to create incredible problem solvers that are super capable and succeed academically and have top professional careers, but they throw people under the bus. They look at how can they advance uh, regardless if it will negatively impact others, especially if uh, it 
requires them to figure out what's the short and long road. The long road avoids success at the expense of others, but the short road is do whatever you can, cutthroat. Plenty of uh, people that have that that approach. <laughs> Some of them are our friends, our colleagues. Some of them are people that we knew growing up that we aren't so connected with, or maybe we are now connected a little bit through through social media. But it's it's important. It's an important piece. So let's let's break this down. Like, how do you teach humility? So the first is find people that led these these honest and true and kind lives who significantly impacted people. Because to be truly humble, you really have to be out there and engaging with the world. If someone sits in a cave their entire life and never engages with anyone, so they never wronged anyone, they never did anything wrong, never spoke any wrong, but how could they be humble? Right? Humble, the opposite of humility, that ego is, well, here are my skills, here are my abilities, here's my knowledge, and I'm clearly superior. I should be getting more. I should be getting the best because I am so incredible. And if you don't have that interface and interaction with other people, so you're, you're never really tested whether you have that ego, whether you contain an ounce of humility, and what's the balance between ego and humility. So we have to have our students interacting. We have to put them in positions where they are socially engaged with one another in in the context of learning, which is why I think that one of the big pitfalls of education is that we're setting up the ego. Our students, and I I had an incredible day yesterday. Being at this school district and sitting with these educators, running through a design thinking workshop, and one of the things that that happened there was one of the the outcomes is they were doing uh, empathy mapping, building user profiles for for students. They said, you know, there's a student, they, they feel that they're not good enough, and they say that they're dumb. I was like, whoa, okay, well, like, you know, let's dig deeper. Let's dig deeper into that. And we came to a conclusion that I I don't think no one realized before that, but in the context of, of that conversation, it was really powerful, which was we're creating that through high stake testing. Student then becomes defined as, oh, I'm on the lowest 40th percentile. So that's, that's who I am. That's what I'm capable of. Why try? I know I could try and I'll just, it's just wasting my time. Or a student gets a poor grade on a test or maybe fails a course, fails biology. There was a tweet that went viral a couple, uh, couple months ago where uh, this individual posted this uh, tweet. He said, I failed biology and I'm now finishing out my PhD and I've successfully defended my dissertation uh, in a degree in biology. It's like, wow, you know, what an incredible sort of flip where you could have just said, oh, I'm bad at science, I'm bad at biology, I shouldn't even be part of this. So having humility doesn't mean that you think of yourself as low or worthless or you think of yourself as nothing or th- even thinking about yourself as less. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher, famous figure in the Bible, he is described as the humble of all men. 
And it was described without, you know, not in his presence, because there's also an idea that you, uh, you don't share all of the incredible qualities of a person with in front of them, right? You don't, you don't, you don't share them all because yeah, it could lead to ego. It says he's the humblest of all, of all men. Now he had a pretty, pretty hard, pretty challenging life trying to get the Jewish people to unite and move forward as a nation and grow as a nation. Uh, he did incredible miracles, splitting the sea, going up on Mount Sinai. I mean, they're, they're, the stories are all there and they're all well known. So how could he have been the humblest of all men? I mean, he seems like he's pretty, pretty much the greatest. He didn't know his own qualities. He didn't have his own, uh, you know, own awareness of, of how incredibly talented he was. Talented he was. So it says that he he was aware of his skills and his abilities and his knowledge and his gifts. But he said, if someone else would have these, this same exact reality as him, the same experiences growing up, the same resources, the same opportunities, he believes that someone else could have done a better job, been more successful if they were him. And that is something that that really differentiates oneself when we're talking about the difference between putting others before us and thinking about others more and thinking about ourselves a little less. That you truly could believe that while you are skilled and gifted and capable, you know that someone else could do a better job with that capacity. And that also builds on the empathy piece as well. And so when we are looking at, okay, so this is good information, makes sense. What, how, like practically, what does this look like in a classroom? Practically, what are we going to be doing to infuse this opportunity in our classroom? So the first thing is to talk about it, for sure, to have discussions, maybe to write and reflect about it, to really ingrain it into the character traits of our students. You know, we want them to be collaborative. We want them to be strong communicators. But how can we create a level of kindness where someone might be willing to slightly minimize their success so that others can be better off? Now, that doesn't mean be destructive or damage yourself or cause harm or or to to create a, a serious amount of negativity so that others can prosper. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, how can we have this awareness of always looking at how can I make sure that others can be successful and others can be winning while I'm winning and succeeding at the same time? And that is that is that recipe for success. So you build it into the classroom through conversation, through reflection, through engaging uh, and being exposed to those people that you see in the world who are really emulating that, those character traits of, of true humility. And the other thing is that it's not an all or nothing. You're like, oh, if I'm not always humble, I'm not humble. If I'm not always caring or kind, I'm not. And I think a lot of the times, especially in this very polarized society, uh, people make mistakes. Uh, and especially when they're making mistakes like 10 years prior. Like, look at yourself. Are you the same person as you were 10 years ago? Do you think the same way? Do you make the same decisions? Do you have the same strategies? Of course not. Nobody does. So, you know, without getting on a a whole tangent of the intense polarization 
of society right now where we're unable to not only uh, accept people's flaws, but that we will forever define those people as their flaws and their mistakes. Um, so that, that level of humility can be a spark or a moment, moments of humility versus just like you got to be, it's all or nothing. And if, you, if you're not humble every time, then you're never humble. I think that there, there's definitely moments uh, and, and, and time where people can, can have hu- um, humble expressions, hu- humble decisions and humble ways of, of engaging and interfacing with others. Now, the, the other piece about this process of, of building humility is that once you define the character traits of humility, right? So then you might be able to figure out ways in which you could put those into practice when we're talking about classroom learning, right? So being able to look at some of the social struggles. A lot of time we're like, okay, well, academics, academics, academics. You know, you could do some academic writing. You could do some historical research. Like one of the things I'm always fascinated about, humility and social media have a really great interface and interaction. And when we look at the historical, um, the historical process of how society as a whole, how humankind has really gone in this direction the entire time of sharing information, connecting with others, and the desire to amplify and increase the, the rapid pace of that. Uh, television, radio, newspaper, Morse code, carrier pigeon, right? So that desire to impress. If you have to impress people, if your existence, if your good qualities are based off of people people being jealous of you, people wishing they could be like you, um, and it's not healthy, right? There's a healthy kind of jealous, right? Someone's really good academically. You could be jealous if it would drive you to become strongly academic yourself. If you're jealous about the way that somebody performs in, a, in, a, in an athletic sport. So if that jealousy could drive you to shoot a thousand free throws a day because you want to... So anytime jealousy can improve you with good quality traits or with skills and in, in, in a positive light, so that's healthy. I think another piece is... Um, your ability to admit that you're right and wrong. If you can never admit you're wrong, if you can never admit your failure, the, the humility has, has no place. Humility is being able to admit that flaw, that you are not perfect. And building opportunities where students can be free and comfortable to admit their flaws, admit their errors, and how we could nurture and grow that resilience that it becomes socially acceptable and emotionally okay, that it doesn't feel good. We don't like to be wrong. It's, it's, I feel like it's ingrained in our DNA. It doesn't feel good. But you have to rise above that emotional feeling of embarrassment and, and spite and, 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 and egocentric focus and come up with that courage to admit your flaw, admit that you're wrong. I think another piece about humility that I find to be uh, you know, really important 
um, is patience. I'm not very patient, so just got to be transparent here. Um, and it's a really, it's a really important piece because when you, when you, when you are really at one with yourself, when you're really focused on who you are, where you are, what you are, and where you need to get to. So you do have a certain level of patience, patience with yourself, patience with others, patience with experiences that you're going through. I think another powerful character trait of humility is forgiveness. Someone makes a, someone does something really wrong, really wrong. And you believe that they are able to change and learn and grow from it. You know, there are toxic relationships and just people that are not capable of of fixing and growing from their errors. So humility doesn't mean sticking around and being subjected to a toxic environment. But someone made an error and they really are they really want to to fix that. Humility is definitely that forgiveness. And I think that forgiveness is also connected with with, uh, with compassion. So I think the last piece that I think is really important is your ability to be transparent. When you try to hide your flaws and, and really hide any, any shortcomings, it, it's, it's definitely an obstacle to living a life that, that has a has characteristics of humility. And I think many times we are, are nervous because once again, it's not socially acceptable. It's not a social norm to put ourselves out there in a transparent way that, that we are struggling, that we are making mistakes. And that doesn't mean to go overboard. That doesn't mean to air out all your dirty laundry and open the closet for all the skeletons to fall out. We all, we all have our, our inner flaws and inner struggles that we don't necessarily have to, to share from the mountaintops on social media. But definitely being open in, in, a, in varying degrees of, of how you share it. I just want to finish off on the social media piece because I think this is a key practical area for our students to understand that Social media is a place to amplify your thoughts and ideas in a way that brings value to others. That can manifest as entertainment, as comedy. It could be at, as expert advice. Whoever is thriving, there are two types of people that thrive on social media. The ones that provide extrinsic value and the ones that apply Extrinsic, so you have intrinsic, you have extrinsic. Sorry about that, I like totally blanked for a moment. Like, which one did I say first? <laughs> intrinsic and extrinsic. Intrinsic is the ability to provide value that really comes from your core of who you are. Extrinsic is superficial. Extrinsic is your fashion, your looks, different things that people want to see on social media, hypervisual. You know, the strong man, the beautiful woman. So however you go about it, if you're trying to provide that value from a genuine place and you're willing to put in an incredible amount of time and hours, you will succeed at building a community around that and sharing content with the community. But for students, they look at 
How can I get in the viral? How can I get in the like? You know, TikTok right now. Don't let this flop. I did something crazy and I put it on social media because crazy videos get views. Don't let this flop. I got suspended. I got kicked off the team. There's these, these TikToks. Don't let it flop. And it's a real, it's a real thing. Or likes. I'm really excited to see how the public facing like on Instagram is going to, uh, when it disappears in the beta, like what does that do? Is it going to challenge people to engage with content in a different way, to have conversations? It's gonna require comments. It's what some people are thinking. It's gonna require uh, communication and ways of us connecting around content versus just, oh, the like, the like, the like, the like. Oh, young, young people now, Oh, I didn't get enough likes within the first hour. Oh, I know the algorithm. Or, or I didn't get over 100 likes. I, I got to delete. I got to get it over. I got I to gotta remove that picture. It's not good enough. Because for the likes, it's superficial. It's vain. It's ego. It's ego, and they don't need, they're not even conscious of it as ego. It'll manifest. It'll grow as they get older as ego. Got to do this only for social validation, only if other people think it's cool, only if it's good enough. So we, wa- we want to have conversations around that. And we want to try to create opportunities age appropriate, of course, to leverage that conversation around digital citizenship, around social media, positive contribution to society through social media, be able to to provide value and and mentor the students and teach them around the lens of humility in the social media space. Age appropriate, of course, right? If if you're teaching students under the age of 13 or even 13 to 15, let's say, and TikTok isn't an appropriate place for them, so then it's not appropriate. And you say, this isn't, this, isn't, this isn't right for you yet. It will be later if it is evergreen and if it stands on its own. And if not, there'll be another platform to replace it that will be when you're of that age. But right now, it's not appropriate. Don't create fake TikTok accounts and fake TikTok templates, right? It's like all or nothing with social media. If, it, if it's not appropriate for an eight-year-old to be on TikTok, don't, don't say, hey, but TikTok is cool. Let's make fake TikToks on Google Slides. That really bothers me. It really, really bothers me that I have recently seen that being shared widely on social media. Like, don't get them on TikTok because it's not appropriate content that runs through the feeds. But let's make TikToks that are, that are fake because the, the process is cool, right? So all in all, the call to action is have deep conversations and open conversations about characteristics of humility Learn about people that emulated those characteristics, even if they were moments of humility and not this all or nothing. And then let's look at the role of, hum- of, of humble character traits around social media and the way that our young people interact and interface with the platforms of today. So thank you for listening. This is the last episode of the season. Super just proud that I was able to keep a consistent 10 weeks of podcasting. This is the longest run I've had, and I'm excited to begin the next season as I look at ways in which I can amplify the voices of educators that are doing creative and interesting things, and then hopefully finding ways to leverage my own creative capacity and sharing that through audio. So thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Educated by Design podcast. If you found this valuable, please leave a review, rate this podcast, because your insight, your feedback is what drives me to keep creating. Thank you so much for listening.